from Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso Cottage Grove, in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI Lancaster, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU The Voice of Maui, in Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM Columbus, in Minneapolis-St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Blanketing the Globe five days a week on Radio Sputnik. The show, of course, is usually hosted by Brad Friedman of thebradblog.com. I'm Angie Coyle, in for Brad today. You know, as a lifelong feminist and a booster of strong women, I cannot believe I found myself sitting out the Democratic Convention. Now, as I understand it, and there's been plenty of coverage, one dynamo speaker after another brought the crowd to its feet. You know, there were the celebrities, and they extended their golden mantles to encompass Hillary Clinton. Meryl Streep. Does it get bigger than Meryl Streep? President Obama, who to this day, despite some egregiously harmful choices he's made, I still respect and admire. I know you don't all share that feeling, but I do. Look at the lineup of activists they had there. Cecile Richards, Sabrina Fulton, Reverend Barber, politicians, all admirable. Well, most admirable. Barbara Boxer, Nancy Pelosi, Barbara Mikulski, Gabby Giffords. I mean, compare this lineup one night after another, to the nearly all-white, all-angry, all-reactionary roster of gun-shakers and shade-throwers that showed up for the GOP. So why did I just sit there, not stirred enough to get off the couch, go to the TV, and turn the convention on, even, even if just to have it in the background? Because I think it was at that moment that I realized the depth of political compromise. And you may not agree with me on this either. The depth to which political compromise is necessary. You know, I've always been something of, of an idealist. At least I was very much an idealist when I was younger. I voted for candidates that reflected that. And I always voted. Voted every time I got the chance. But in a way that I see realistically now, may not have been the most conducive to real change. Here's an argument we're all having again this year that we tend to have a lot on the left. And that is, do you hold your nose and vote for the best of the options? Do you make a protest vote to make your point even if you know that can't yield a candidate? In the real sense, you know the numbers aren't there to make that person a real candidate. Or... Do you put up your flag on a spot and say, if there are enough people like me, if there are enough people like me, together we can bring an alternative candidate all the way into office? I no longer buy into that last scenario at all. I don't. I've heard the arguments, to go back to option B, I've heard the arguments about why you don't throw away your vote or cast a spoiler vote for someone else. Believe it or not, there is still considerable intellectual informed argument over whether a vote for Ralph Nader spoiled that year's election. 
put the kibosh on Al Gore. Some very smart intellectuals and academics who've looked at those numbers and said it would not have made any difference had Nader not been in the race. So it's not a given that by voting for someone who is outside the realm of possibility, you're necessarily spoiling the race. In this case, in front of our faces right now, I don't want to play those odds. I don't want to see a Donald Trump get into office. And for everyone who says that's not possible, every step along the way of his campaign, the naysayers have looked at Trump and said, he's never going to beat so-and-so. Oh, he's never going to beat that so-and-so. Wait, there's number three so-and-so. He can't possibly beat him. And lo and behold, Donald Trump is the Republican candidate. Never say never. This country, at least some factions of it, have become so twisted and so hateful and so unified behind that twisted hate. Donald Trump could, in fact, be president. I saw an interview, more accurately, I read a print interview, with a Bernie or Bust supporter. No matter what, she's going to vote for Bernie. And the reporter asked her, what if Trump gets in? And the woman hesitated and said, well, if he gets in, I guess it'll be the Democratic Party's fault. That would make it okay. That would absolve us all of the future we would be destined for under a President Trump. I found that quote really, really telling. So anyway, later in this hour of the broadcast, I'm going to be talking to Gotta Laugh. You might know her as Lafayette Online, sharp, funny political commentator, regular contributor to The Nicole Sandler Show. We'll talk, too, about Nicole Sandler, who's, um, of course, been a host here on the broadcast, big friend of the show, and um, is facing her own personal issues right now. So as well as talking about the macro, the very big, the election, the next president, we're also going to talk about the micro, and that is helping out another voice from the left. We're going to spend some time talking about Trump's potentially fatal error. Oh, dare I say it? Dare I say that there's a possibility something may finally cost Donald Trump the reticent and mealy mouth support he's gotten from within the Republican Party, even though most of his best advisors and even Mike Pence, his own VP nominee, must be advising him at this point to just shut up. Just shut up. So to quickly sketch this out, the Democratic convention included an appearance by two Gold Star parents. That means they have lost family to an American war. And Kazir and Ghazali Khan, in fact, lost their son in Iraq. They appeared at the convention, and Mr. Khan challenged Trump to read the Constitution he keeps pretending he wants to defend. George Stephanopoulos on ABC asked Trump to respond. There was a man named Kaiser Khan speaking at the Democratic convention. His son, Captain Humayun Khan, was killed serving in Iraq. And he had some very tough questions for you. He said you wouldn't have even let his son in America. He doesn't know. He doesn't know that. I saw him. He was, uh, you know, very emotional and probably looked like uh, a nice guy to me. His wife, uh, if you look at his wife, she was standing there. She had nothing to say. She probably, maybe she wasn't allowed to have anything to say. You tell me, but plenty of people have written that. Uh, she, uh, She was extremely quiet. And it looked like she had nothing to say. A lot of people have said that. Uh, and personally, uh, I watched him. I wish him the best of luck. George. What would you say to that father? Well, I'd say we've had a lot of problems with radical Islamic terrorism. That's what I'd say. We have a lot of problems where 
You look at San Bernardino, you look at Orlando, you look at the World Trade Center, you look at so many different things. You look at what happened to the priest over the weekend in Paris where his throat was cut, 85-year-old, beloved Catholic priest. You look at what happened in Nice, France a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'd say you got to take a look at that because something's going on and it's not good. He said you have sacrificed nothing and no one. Well, that sounds, uh, who wrote that? Did uh, Hillary's uh, scriptwriters write it? How would you answer that, Father? What sacrifice have you made for your country? I think I've made a lot of sacrifices. Uh, I work very, very hard. I've created thousands and thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of jobs. Uh, I think those are sacrifices? Oh, sure. I think they're sacrifices. I think when I can employ thousands and thousands of people, take care of their education, take care of so many things, even in military, I mean, I was very responsible, along with a group of people, for getting the Vietnam Memorial built in downtown Manhattan, which to this day people thank me for. Uh, I raised and I have raised millions of dollars for the vets. I'm helping the vets a lot. He proceeded to paint Kazir Khan as very emotional, pointed out that his wife had nothing to say. He'd like the father to hear about the all but irrelevant topic of violent attacks in America, accused Hillary of script writing for him, tallied up all the sacrifices he has made by being a very moneyed mogul in America, and took undeserved credit for helping to build the Vietnam Memorial. Now, when he was called on some of this, he doubled down on his racism with misogyny. That was that point where he pointed out that Kazir Khan's wife, Ghazala Khan, had nothing to say, and he'd like to hear from her. Now, if you recall, when he was talking about Megyn Kelly bleeding from her wherever, he left himself open that window of plausible deniability. Oh, he wasn't talking about women things. He was just free associating. He was thinking out loud. So, of course, his making a not-too-subtle reference to the cliché of Muslim women not being allowed to speak, not having a freedom of their own voice— Well, he had plausible deniability there, didn't he? But I suspect too many people have caught him on that. In fact, I don't have to suspect it. We've been seeing all kinds of people, even Republicans, decrying his comments. And now this has spawned a new hashtag campaign. Can you hear us now? Hashtag can you hear us now? All one word. So we'll pick up the story from there with Adina Lekovic. She's director of policy and programming at the Muslim Public Affairs Council. Adina, thank you for joining me here on the broadcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's talk about this allusion that Donald Trump made to how silent his wife, at least as I interpreted what he was saying, how she had to be, how she had to be in her husband's shadow and was not being allowed to speak. And that picks up on some some pretty ugly cliches. It certainly does. I mean, you know, this whole episode just shows how completely out of touch Donald Trump is once again. Uh, the fact that he completely missed the point uh, in having this opportunity to speak to George Stephanopoulos about um, the sacrifice of an American Muslim uh, soldier and military veteran, that he instead chose to focus on on Khan's wife, on Ghazala Khan, on this woman who had lost her child, and to criticize her, just shows how completely out of touch um, and, and dangerous Donald Trump is for this country. And the fact that he would um, zoom right into uh, one of the the worst and most uh, distorted stereotypes of Muslim women, right, that we're, we're silent, we're invisible, we're not allowed to speak, um, it, it, it reveals more about him than it does about Muslims, because 
the truth is that the true voices of Muslim women are loud and proud and out there. Uh, American Muslim women are, I think, uh, second highest in education behind American Jewish women um, in terms of their higher education, their doctors, their professors, their media professionals, their activists, their artists, their change makers, um, and, you know, their moms and sisters and daughters and all of those things at the same time. And so I once again think that Donald Trump has given um, given us an opportunity to hopefully make lemonade out of out of lemons because he and his um, thick and divisive rhetoric is uh, forcing even those in the GOP who have been trying to stay uh, on in some imaginary line to finally speak up and denounce his actions as un-American and as um, repulsive even to the Republican Party to uh, uh, assault and disrespect and defame um, a family who uh, made, made the ultimate sacrifice. Um, it, 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 you know, it's just unconscionable. And it's totally outside of, mm-hmm. again, a presidential race. It's just, it's mind-boggling. You know, I think we've all decided, and, and pardon me if I'm not speaking for you, let me know if I'm not, but I think most of us have decided that Trump himself is not educable. There's there's nothing you can really teach this man about how to be decent, how to think about what he's saying, how to examine himself for prejudices. Uh, when he can talk about a family who lost a child and he compares it to his own sacrifices of, you know, having a business and employing people— we're talking about someone who's pretty dense at, at that point. And so let's go over to the campaign to hashtag can you hear us now? Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing it's not really about educating Trump per se. So when you get that hashtag out there to have uh, Muslim women, American Muslim women assert their voices and assert their power, what is the goal if it's not to educate Trump? The goal is to speak for ourselves. The goal is to take this opportunity to celebrate Ghazala Khan and all the mothers of, uh, of American Muslim soldiers who have uh, been, who have passed away, who have been killed in um, the line of fire in uh, the U.S. military. And I think there's about a dozen of them since, uh, since 9-11. And it's also to um, speak more broadly to who we are as American Muslim women. It's insulting to once again be treated like we're invisible and silent when um, nothing could be further from the truth. As, you know, as I mentioned, it's, um, I, I've been in professional Muslim activist for 15 years, and I have seen um, the best kind of blossoming of American Muslim women's voices, and you can see that on social media, you can see that in mainstream media, you can see that um, through so many voices that are out there now, but unfortunately, you still have to pay attention to find them, to look for them, um, as I do, but um, many other people still ask us, you know, where are Muslim women, you know, they have questions, they have skepticism, and it's rooted in um, some some sad facts from you know different places around the world where uh, Muslim women do have been robbed of their rights of their Quran God given rights their Quranic and God given rights um, and that's been made to appear as if it is um, rooted in Islam I mean the actions of groups like ISIS or countries uh, like Saudi Arabia or Iran that violate women's uh, right to choose whether, how they dress, whether they cover their hair, those are appalling. ISIS's uh, uh, raping of women and other sort of outrageous violations of women's rights, human rights, um, are unconscionable. Unfortunately, that is, to many people, the mainstream of Islam. They, assume, they seem to think that that's the mainstream of Islam because they haven't been exposed to Muslims. One of the things that we know is that something close to two-thirds of Americans do not know a Muslim firsthand, according to public opinion polls. Um, but we also know that exposure, right, no, the single greatest predictor of, of somebody's perception of Islam and Muslims is rooted in whether they know a Muslim. 
So uh, how do we move forward? We move forward by talking to each other, by getting to know each other, um, by putting ourselves out there. And that's exactly what the Can You Hear Us Now campaign is about. We're speaking to the world um, to say, you know, here we are. If you're looking for the voices of Muslim women, we're everywhere in the best possible way. And it's time you started paying more attention. Can, can we talk about, let's just address directly some of the either misapprehensions or downright prejudice that some people have. And I want to just sure. throw these at you and I, and I want to hear your answer sure. on those. Okay, for one thing, you can't be a powerful woman because you choose to cover your head with a scarf. Oh, you know what? It's a piece of clothing. Uh, the, the scarf is a symbol of modesty. It's, a, it, it's actually uh, intended so that a woman is taken for her mind rather than for any uh, for her body or her sexuality. It's about privatizing that and publicizing your intellect. Um, unfortunately, it's been misused in some places, but the vast majority of Muslim women who do cover their hair do it from their free will and out of their own expression of their faith. Um, the, you know, the situations where women are forced or anything along those lines are the exception. And frankly, just as many women don't cover their hair in any way as do. And that's not just in America, that's in, around the world. So there's a great deal of, um, of diversity among Muslim, among Muslim women that, uh, it, it would be great to, um, show people more of. And, you know, one I would point to, if I have a moment, is um, Ibti Hajj Mohammed, yeah. who is going to be the first American Muslim woman wearing a hijab to compete on behalf of the U.S. Olympic team as a fencer. Um, and she is the embodiment of the American Muslim woman. Good point. Mm-hmm. Good point. Let me throw out another one of these. Uh, if you're a Muslim and you hear that someone from what pretends to be or, or purports to be a Muslim sect goes out and commits violence, either small or large, it's on you to stand up and stand against them. Oh, absolutely. You know, the Quran says directly that if you save one life, it's as if you save the lives of all of humanity. And if you take one life, it's as if you take the lives of all of humanity. So the act of working to protect human lives, protect human rights, is at its core part of Islamic teachings. And if you see, and the Quran also says, um, stand firmly for justice, even if it's against your own selves, your family, your next of kin, right? Like people who are close to you. And so ISIS is not part of my family or my kin, but anybody who reports to be Muslim and who commits acts of violence against civilians, um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it absolutely has to be uh, condemned and fought against. And that's exactly what has um, been happening over and over again. And yet, uh, you know, ISIS with its, uh, with its uh, arsenal is, uh, is a daunting challenge that takes a lot more than just um, the voices of good, of good Muslims to eradicate. Another one that Islam commands that the word be expanded through violent takeover if necessary, that the imperative is that Islam must be spread, and that is the motivation of Muslims going into communities where they haven't been before. Mm -hmm. They're going to spread the word of Islam, whether it takes blood or not. You know, this is one of the most um, common and most dangerous misunderstandings, not misunderstandings, this is is propaganda, really. It's a a lie that's been spread. So uh, the truth is, that Muslims are taught to to live as peaceful citizens and contribute in whatever society they choose to live in. Um, the, uh, we're taught as Muslims that you follow the law of the land and that religious freedom, religious pluralism, is is part of God's command. In fact, in the mm-hmm. Quran, uh, we believe that it's 
that God tells us that he created us in nations and tribes so that we might come to know one another. And uh, it also says that God could have made us all the same way, but he intended for there to be diversity in all shapes and forms. So uh, pluralism, diversity of faith, of background, of, uh, you know, in, in every shape and stripe uh, is not only allowable, but encouraged in Islam. And this idea that Muslims are trying to take over. So again, certainly, so we have to separate Islam from ISIS. ISIS has not, it's not that they have nothing to do with Islam. It's that they are a cult, um, a death cult, you know, in the, in the way, you know, I would never describe the KKK as a Christian organization. And so I wouldn't just mm-hmm. describe ISIS as, you know, a Muslim, as anything Muslim, um, because they take, uh, they cherry pick, uh, uh, verses out of context and they universalize them and they recruit online, um, mostly to people who don't have any kind of real religious literacy and who are feeling frustrated by politics and angry about injustice and they prey upon them, um, and misguide them through, uh, a very distorted, um, and, and, and deadly, uh, misinterpretation of the Quran and core Islamic teachings. Um, and that is, that's, you know, that's the main enemy number one for Muslims because over 90% of ISIS's victims have been Muslims. So there's nobody who has more on the line, um, than Muslims worldwide. And, uh, and so we have to name the enemy as who it is, and that is ISIS and other violent extremist groups. We, you know, everybody pays attention to the things that come, that hit closest to home. It's on each of us to educate ourselves and to speak up. Adina, I really want to thank you for taking the time. And I know we went a little bit further afield than the Can You Hear Us Now campaign. So I just want to throw that out one more time. The hashtag is Can You Hear Us Now. And for people who want to see how powerful that's already become today, they can check that out on Twitter. Thank you so much, Adina. Thank you. Adina Lekovic is a consultant and spokeswoman with the Muslim Public Affairs Council. I'm Angie Coiro. Stick around for more on the broadcast. Hey, it's Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. And while the Bradcast and Bradblog.com fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation, we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by Bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one-time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions that those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds to stop by bradblog.com donate right now. And thanks. Angie Coiro in for Brad today on the broadcast, And as promised, I'm going to run my malaise about the Dem convention past a very funny, very astute political observer. Gotta laugh burst onto the scene writing for the old political carnival website. Laffy has now partnered with radio or not show host and sometimes broadcast guest host Nicole Sandler. Laffy felt much the way I did when Hillary Clinton first clinched the Democratic nomination for president. In fact, a private letter that I had written about how divided I felt when Hillary first got the nomination, she was so struck by that she printed it on her website. And you will find that at NicoleSandler.com. And, you know, as a feminist, it's very strange to have spent your whole life looking forward to the 
the idea, let alone the true manifestation of a woman aiming for the White House with a real possibility of getting into the White House and then finding out that that flesh and blood woman, like so many politicians, is someone you feel quite divided about. So having sat out watching the Democratic uh, Democratic Convention myself, I decided to ask Dear Laffey how that went down with her. So Laffey, I've told everybody about the column that you wrote that was based on my email, and so I thought it was a good idea to check back with you. I have already mentioned that I didn't watch the Democratic Convention, and I was on Twitter and I saw people talking about this at the convention and this person and how rousing this speech was. And I was watching West Wing and playing online Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, why are you watching West Wing and playing online Scrabble? You should should be watching the convention. And I, <laughs> I just, I couldn't bring myself to. And here is our first female, you know, dominant yeah. party nominee. And I just couldn't get my butt up off the couch. And I wondered, what was that night like for you? Okay, so I forced myself to watch all four nights of both conventions. Oh, dear so God. um basically I'm on an IV drip and coming out of a coma. <laughs> God. Uh well, okay, that you're talking about the Democratic convention specifically, so I'll stay on that. Yeah, we'll go to the Republicans um, when we've had time to gin up an appetite. How's that? And gin yeah. will probably be key to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta tell you, um, uh, the Democrats, in terms of production values and all that, because I come from a TV background, they did a really good job compared to Trump's, which was a total disaster. Um, but in terms of the speakers, uh, I, I didn't watch all of them. I, I watched mainly primetime and had my TV on for all of them. Uh, Hillary's speech didn't rouse me. Now, I, I am a Bernie supporter, but I'm not a Bernie or Buster. I... I I feel that um, we've got to beat Trump, and I, I very reluctantly, if I need to, will vote for Hillary in California. I'm not sure I will need to, but I kind of feel guilty if I don't. Yes. I just yeah. can't feel comfortable not voting, you know. I for, get that. For, that's, that's what I'm yeah. going to do. I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton knowing that the chances my vote makes a difference this particular time in that particular right. race. Eh. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, no, her, her speech, although I, I appreciated the, the very liberal elements of it, I don't trust that she'll follow through. And if she does, it's going to be with a major push from uh, us voters, mm -hmm. uh, especially, I'm, I'm guessing, the Bernie voters, the 13 million or so Bernie voters. Um, uh, everyone was raving also about Chelsea's speech, honestly. Yeah. Oh, I feel so bad saying this because everybody was kind of happy with it. Both my husband and I watching it had the exact same impression, and that was that she's not a very good speaker. She was just kind of doing this robotic thing, and I didn't understand where the enthusiasm came from, but okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, didn't do it for me. Uh, I thought that um, uh, the First Lady's speech was, oh, my God, it was fantastic. Now, you know what? I, I, I am ashamed to say I haven't even looked at excerpts. And uh, let me be clear about that. I'm not boycotting it. I'm not saying, by no, golly, right. I won't watch it. I, I haven't gotten around to it. And it's that lack of enthusiasm that, that prompted me to give you a call. Because, all right, she's, she's the candidate. She's already in there. Nothing will change if I watch her speech. I right. probably will get around to watching it. But it's that passivity. When I'm not generally a politically passive person, it's the passivity right. that really intrigues me. Oh, I'm I'm right there with you. I watched it reluctantly. Um, you know, I think that she did as well as she could do. She's not a good public speaker. I think she's a really lousy candidate. Mm. Um, you know, I, I I do appreciate some of her 
platform, or not her platform, but her uh, positions and her policy ideas, uh, especially of late, because as I said, she seems to be coming around. I just hope she sticks to that. Um, I really appreciate her on women's issues and children's issues, yes. things like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no comparison. Um, her, she's a, a very hawkish, and I don't understand where people argue with me about that. That's common knowledge. I mean, Rachel Maddow, who seemed to be uh, very supportive of Hillary Clinton, very early on recapped something that uh, that Hillary said on her show the prior night, and um, and it was very hawkish, and she pointed that out, and that's coming from Maddow. So, uh, you know, that was ages ago. That was, <clears throat> excuse me, back in, in September, I think it was, or, or June, I don't remember, of 2015. I believe it was September. Mm -hmm. um, so, so her hawkishness leaves me cold and worries me. Uh, her TPP stance right now is like, yeah, I'm against TPP, but I'm thinking in her mind, her little voice is saying, but I'm just going to tweak it. And her, her spokesperson came out the other day and said, no, that's not true. She, she really is against it. She really isn't going to come back with a different TPP. I would feel I'll better see. believing her about that if she had been more forthcoming about her addressing yeah. Goldman Sachs. If she yep. had, and forgive me if she has, but I have yet to see or hear this. I don't think she has directly talked about the fact that she has a vice presidential nominee, that she gave the tap to someone who has been for the TPP and against yep. further bank regulation. That speaks volumes. And fracking. And fracking. Yes. Um, two, two biggies in my book. Those are two big, big, big deals that matter a lot to everybody and affect workers. They affect our health. That affects our trade. I mean, you name it. So, our, you know, obviously our economy, both of them do. Um, and, yes, yeah, so, so should anything happen to Hillary, should she be in office, we've got Tim Kaine, who I was very disappointed, uh, you know, as her choice. I understand, of course, why she made him her choice. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he is likable. I, I had, you know, I'd watched him on TV a lot. And then his speech was very likable, more likable than I thought he'd be, you know, le less boring, um, more <laughs> amusing. So, so he gets, I've never liked how plain points. spoken you are, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I, 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 I'm not a fan. What can I say? I, you know, I don't hate either of these two people. I, I see the hatred just Boring. I mean, my own brother hates Hillary, and he's a liberal. Oh, my um, See, I, okay, I don't get that. And I'll tell you, one of the things that worries me about talking about Hillary, all of us are susceptible to bias. All of us are susceptible to political messaging that comes through untrustworthy channels. We sometimes don't yes. even know about you know what we're hearing and where it originally came from. And one of the things that I've heard posited by Hillary supporters that I give credence to is the fact that the right-wing messaging machine against her has been so powerful and ongoing for so long that probably some of their messaging has crept into what we believe is true of Clinton. I, I know that you're very fact-based. I know that you actually, well, listen, yeah. you just cited a near date on a Rachel Maddow conversation. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Most people can't do that. They'll just say, well, you know, she's a warmonger. She's owned by the banks or she lied or, you know, she's gotten away with murdering Vince Foster. <laughs> you yeah, know? that's always a favorite. Exactly. Isn't it? Benghazi, Benghazi. But, you know, some of this sneaks in and eventually you can believe that despite the fact that she is a woman convicted of nothing, for example, right. that she right. is inherently a crook and a criminal. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Although, like you said, I'm fact-based and I've, I really get my back up when people accuse me of of being that susceptible. Mm -hmm. And I have never, I don't listen to anything that the GOP 
he says, unless it's with a grain of salt. You know, I really, I don't like them. So um, so when they, they accuse her of things, I tend to side with her automatically. I get, you know, hey, she's the underdog and leave her alone. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, but let me read you. I have the Maddow quote because the reason I do know the date was because uh, I've had to tweet it a number of times. And it's a screen grab I took. Okay. So I have Go the for date. Maddow. Hillary Clinton has said in this campaign that she is not more hawkish than President Obama, that she would not necessarily be a more aggressive commander-in-chief. But today at the Council on Foreign Relations, she laid out a complex plan to fight ISIS that continues many of the efforts of the Obama administration. But on the military side, she says she would do more. More planes, more airstrikes, more targets for air, more targets for airstrikes, more American troops on the ground, getting those U.S. troops into more combat, combat, arming more regional fighters, running a no-fly zone, running safe zones on the ground in Syria. She is proposing a bigger and more aggressive war, end quote. So um, I took that very seriously Mm -hmm. because that was a really good recap. And I had watched that interview, by the way. And so when when I heard that takeaway from Rachel, I was a little surprised because... Honestly, she really did seem to be sympathetic toward a lot of what um, Hillary Clinton was saying. Right. So, yes. But she's an informed source and she thinks. Uh, That's what I want. I want a thinking informed source. And she more than meets that, you know, as far as the bar of credibility. Right. Although everyone's calling her a sellout now. And I I don't Uh, appreciate that. You know, I I don't. don't In fact, can we let's can we dive down that road for just a minute? Yes, please. (laughs) One of the things that we on the left constantly fault the Republicans for is baseless attacks. And, you know, battling with it, hitting things with a huge blunderbuss and having no idea, no concept and no respect for nuance, no idea about layers. They don't want to look at layers. They don't want they, they want their big, responsible daddy to tell them how to take care of them. They see things in black and white. and We're always faulting them for that. And right. now we have all this, you know, if you support Hillary, you're a sellout. If, exactly. you know, if, if you're if you support Bernie, you're a Bernie bro. Okay, right. there were Bernie bros. I saw some major, major jerks supporting Bernie Sanders. I And many of them, by the way, were Trump trolls. They were actually people who worked for the Trump campaign. True enough. But, you know, I saw people and, you know, you and I were such we're such social uh, media maniacs. We based so yeah. much <laughs> of our lives on Twitter. I mean, I've seen people that but, I yeah. have long respected on Twitter yeah. bashing each other back and forth with yeah. just huge swaths of generalizations matched with acrimony. I mean, you take a generalization, you throw in an insult, and there, that is a productive way to keep Trump out of the White House, isn't it? (laughs) Right. I I actually blocked a lot of uh, longtime followers from both sides because both of them were being horrible. Um, and and uh, I, I don't like this broad brush thing, as I've been saying. Well, I've been saying this for other reasons, but I've been saying that Democrats are, have been generally pretty hypocritical in this election cycle because and, and going. This is a whole little off topic thing. But the reason I said that was because all the things that Bernie stood for. All his long-term goals were things I heard Democrats talk about for years. Mm-hmm. The minute he ran against Hillary, those goals became unicorny and pretend and, and magical and crazy and horrible. And suddenly ageism was a factor. And that really, really got under my skin. Yes. So, um, so yes, they painted with a broad brush specifically mm-hmm. and more broadly. Um, I, you know, a, a broad lush, brush more broadly, that was really ridiculous. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> They were doing it specifically against a, a candidate and then more broadly against anybody who didn't think like them. Now, in terms of Rachel, that really upset me because, as you said, she's a, a talk about critical thinking. Yes. Talk about somebody who knows her, her stuff backwards and forwards. And and um, 
I'm sorry, somebody was knocking at my door and I had to say, don't come in. Um, uh, she is under obligation, uh, uh, under contract, you know, to NBC Universal. Right. So there are certain things she cannot do or cannot say. Right. And they, they kept saying, you know, why can't she do this? And why doesn't she come out and say that? And, you know, she's a sellout. I'm saying, no, if she did that, she'd be fired. And then, you know, where would her voice be? That's another purity test. Yes. Okay, I get purity tests, and I am going to be ageist my own self right here. I was very much involved in purity when I was younger. My first vote was for John Anderson. You know, I mean, you know, and I don't yeah, know how much yeah. that resonates with some of our younger no, listeners, but right. listeners, by the way, who I should remind that I'm talking to God, a laugh, uh, laughy post at radio or not.com. And nope, nope. It's now Nicole Sandler.com. I knew that. Yeah. Let's take that over. Laugh, okay. Laffy post at Nicole Sandler.com. And for those of you who want an update on how Nicole is doing or you haven't heard about that yet, we're going to get to that later in our conversation. Oh, and also you can go directly to my uh, posting page at, um, I forgot. <laughs> com. I, I don't do it myself. So, you know, com. You can get there either through NicoleSandler.com Nicole or com. There are two little avenues now. So it's wonderful. That's wonderful. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back to what we were talking about. <laughs> it, one of the purity tests that really begins to irritate me is so-and-so is on MSNBC. MSNBC yeah. pretends to be liberal and it's not. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this person should stand up against MSNBC. Right. All right. Let's analyze that. MSNBC is neither liberal nor conservative. They're commercial. They're a yes. for-profit entity that sells eyeballs to advertisers. That is all they are. They've never been the messaging machine that Fox is. They've never were set up with the Ever. goal. Right. With political goals or aspirations. That I mean, There's just a naivete about that, about how much a corporation is going to be a liberal corporation that really grinds me. The second thing is, as you just said, and I wish people would think this through a little more carefully, mm-hmm. no, Rachel can't get up, stand on her chair, or anyone like her, Joy Reid, anyone, they cannot get up, stand on their chairs, and say anything they want and expect to have another show. Exactly. Um, now, I <clears throat> I have known Joy Reid known not personally but we met through email when I was working on a story before she ever got famous Mm -hmm. and I really like her I really think she's smart she's brilliant yeah she is she's she's really good at what she does however I I disagreed with her a lot during the primary I I did get the feeling that she wasn't big on Bernie and and was uh, more toward Hillary Uh, I didn't hate her for that I got frustrated Mm mm-hmm you know, I would I would see things that tended to to show some bias. Um, her guests showed bias. Uh, I could go on about this forever, by the way. But oh my <laughs> this god, this is why God about, made about the about the. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Um, uh, but but you know, the guests on MSNBC, um, many 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 of them are the paid contributors. Let's put it this way: her the paid analysts on MSNBC. There, I don't believe there was a single paid analyst uh, for some time for Bernie, but they were all for Hillary, such as Howard Dean. Mm-hmm. You know, let's. Okay, so so but but so I would get mad at these people, but I could still like them. Yes. I could still appreciate their insights. I could still sort of divorce myself from the parts I disagree with and and really cheer them on for the things that needed to be said that everybody needed to know. You know, they can be informative, they can be biased. Let's separate them and appreciate what we can because that's who we have on air. Mhm. Mhm. Yes. Now we can we can go directly to independent media 
as we are right at this moment, the two of us. But uh, but that isn't uh, the commercial networks. We have a much smaller audience. Oh, you know what? So I'm let's give be it happy. At that, you're right. Yes, let's be happy with yeah. what we got and appreciate that they're staying on there, which does involve some personal compromise. While you were talking about uh, alternative media... I have to give a shout out to Pacifica for some of the best convention coverage I have heard in a long time. Oh, re-upping my membership. It was like, you know, you have that moment like, oh, this is great. Oh, have I paid for this lately? So, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I re-upped with Pacifica. Uh, You know what? You and I need to hustle through some other topics really quickly. So let's let's get some uh, some ideas. First of all, the people who are saying that they are going to vote for Bernie. Nonetheless, Mm -hmm. and again, I think there's a bit of a purity test going on here, but I wonder if you have any insight into why they think that is productive and why most of them don't seem to draw a correlation for voting outside the two major parties and helping to put Trump in office. Okay, what I'm seeing, I I was part of uh, groups, uh, private and otherwise, that were you know really pro Bernie. What I've seen is a slow migration from let's vote for Bernie, regardless to let's vote for Jill Stein. And now they're seeing that Jill Stein is is uh, sort of pushing her poll numbers up a little. And so they're getting more encouraged and they really think that that she has a shot. I'm not sure why because she's not even in all 50 states as I recall. I think she's in 35 of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not sure if they're just trying to make a point or if they actually think she has a chance at winning. Um, it It's very scary to me because while I totally, totally relate to how they're feeling and I am so sympathetic and I I am so with them on the issues. I think when you're up against somebody like Trump where if he gets in office, it's not like even when Bush was in office who I detested. Mm -hmm. At least Bush... He had some insanity, okay, but he wasn't completely insane. I mean, he had Cheney there. Okay, that's a little sign of insanity that he had Cheney with him. But um, no, but I mean, he... He showed some some sympathy and some empathy uh, to um, Muslims, for example. Yes. Um, you know, he he wasn't a bigot. He he did well relatively with Latinos and Hispanics and got votes. Uh, so there are differences. Believe me, I do not like Bush. I'd like to make this a big qualification. Course, I do not like Bush. Of course, and that and that's but, again keeping you know holding the broad brush at bay. Exactly. There you go. So 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 when they're saying let's let's not vote but and hopefully they'll vote down ballot yes for you know and in california um, that matters exactly oh boy yes um so i i'm very concerned about and they are so militant about it so rabid about it that anything else can't penetrate like i you know i actually had one of them very kindly privately message me and say i hope you don't hate me i'm you know i'm one of those Joel Stein or, you know, Bernie or Busters, and I love you, and I, you're much more, you know, kind of, I don't want to say reasonable, I can't remember her word, but that was what she was implying, mm-hmm. and and so I said, no, 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 I totally adore you, I'm just a little nervous, you know, you do your thing, I'm not going to stop you, I don't tell people how to vote, but then again, don't tell me how to vote. Exactly. Hey, up against the clock here, let's spend a little time talking about Nicole Sanders. Uh, people would know her from radio. Sandler, Sandler. Did I say that? I did. Said, <gasps> I married her to Bernie. You did. That's Congratulations, so Nicole and Bernie. That's absolutely lovely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could call her Bernie Sandler. <laughs> Let's try this again, shall we? Okay. All right. So we want to talk about Nicole Sandler. Uh, for yes. people who aren't familiar, she's long been a voice on the left. She is, you know, controversial and spunky and determined to keep a progressive voice alive. And she has had, of all things, cancer come up. Yes. Oh, yeah. In the last two weeks, she's been diagnosed with lung cancer. 
Yeah. And it was by accident. It was by happenstance. She was in for something else. She was perfectly fine, they found out, ex- until they did an x-ray, and an x-ray showed that she had a spot on her lung. And uh, as I understand, you know, as, as we record, I understand that yesterday she went in for a brain scan to see if it's gone any further. And the reason I think it's important to bring this up is because we've already established, you know, the value of alternative media. Uh, Nicole is one of the hardest working women in this business I know. Um, you know, obviously couldn't stay in corporate media, which a lot of us have lived through. Um, and now there's an effort to, because of our healthcare system, which despite its improvements does have limitations, Nicole needs help. And, I, and we want to yes. send people over to her site. or to, You've got a page set up for this, so let's talk about yes, how that's going to be done. Um, it, by the way, she was also involved with Air America. I mean, she was on Air America. That's right. She was also uh, a rock a, a rock station producer. I mean, she's she has a resume like you wouldn't believe. But to get back to her issue, NicoleSandler.com slash FK as in, <laughs> okay, FK yes. hyphen cancer. Back, uh, forward slash. Okay, so it's NicoleSandler.com. Actually, just go to her page. She's got you. You'll see it's really obvious. You can click on this link that she provides, a really big link, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll lead you to a page where you can donate. She has raised about $8,500. She needs 30000 in order to pay her medical oh, bills, God. even though she has Obamacare. It's just has not worked out for her with Obamacare. Uh, in some ways it has, in other ways it hasn't. It's a step and this in the is right direction way. is all it is, and that's because exactly. it was allowed to be. For the most part, we won't go into single payer not being at the table, blah, 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 longer in different right. conversation. But <laughs> exactly. Nicole Sandler, a very important voice in the progressive blogosphere and radio sphere, Please help needs her. some help. So. Please. You are the best friend you could possibly be to her laughing, and you're a oh. lovely friend to me, and thank you for being on the you. air with me today. I love you too, sis, and we'll talk to you later. Okay, thank you. All right. And sitting in for Brad and Desi today, I'm Angie Caro. Stay with me. There is more to come on the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. I'm Angie Quero, in for Brad today on the Bradcast. We have some time to go over some stuff from the news. And the one more item having to do with Donald Trump. And I expressed my, my very real concern earlier that despite his constant belligerence, despite his determination to make a mistake or say something horrible and get called on it and then double down and then really get called on it and triple down and never really seems to bear the consequences of those egregious, egregious statements. Starting to think maybe he has some chinks in his armor that he hasn't been willing to acknowledge until now. This one's a pretty big one. This is a former advisor to Jeb Bush. Do you recognize the name Sally Bradshaw? Sally Bradshaw came out Monday. She worked right next to Jeb Bush. She's been in the news associated with his name, Republican through and through. And I'm starting, although I didn't hear her say this per se, I'm starting to think she's one of those people who, when you ask her, is going to say, I didn't leave the Republican Party. The Republican Party left me. But as she told the Associated Press today, by email, quote, it was a personal decision to change her voter registration in Florida to no party affiliation. Sally Bradshaw has left the GOP. 
Now, she had been talking to CNN. And she said, now she had been talking to CNN, and she said, the Republican Party has nominated a total narcissist, a misogynist, and a bigot. Okay, I I would part ways a little bit with her, only in that she expressed that as something of a surprise, something that paints Trump as an outlier. He's no outlier. Trump is the ultimate manifestation of everything the Republicans have been encouraging and enticing and grooming within their party for decades now. And she would disagree with that. It doesn't matter. What matters is that she left the Republican Party, and that is no small potatoes. She told the AP that she had been considering that switch for months. And what pushed her over the edge? Exactly what we talked about with Laffey a few minutes ago. It was Trump's criticism, quoting here from the Washington Post, Trump's criticism of the Muslim parents of a U.S. soldier killed in Iraq. Continuing to quote the Post, Bradshaw had worked on behalf of Republicans, including the former governor of Florida and the 1988 presidential campaign of his father, George H.W., for decades. We can add her to a number of names, large and small, recognizable and not so recognizable, standing up and saying the Republican Party no longer speaks for me. Well, there is obviously a large contingent of the Republican Party who is a long, long way from that. Paul Ryan ever says that, you can pick me up off the floor. John McCain may, may be coming close to that. John McCain is an odd man. He really is. I recall when John McCain used to seem sane and middle of the road. McCain-Feingold, you know, cooperative, reaching across the aisle, being able to see some reason between the party philosophies. And then he got into yet another presidential campaign and chose Sarah Palin and has just gone beyond any number of times in conversation where you say, really? Did you just say that? But Just like Sally Bradshaw, it looks as though he has hit his limit. He has blasted Trump for what he said about the Khan family. He reached his point of no return when he said, you don't do that to someone who gave his life or the family of the man who gave his life in the name of America. A lesser known case of someone who decided to leave the fold In fact, several lesser-known cases. I don't need to delineate them all. You can look them up. But there are little cases popping up around the United States, councilmen and advisors and publicists and people from throughout the Republican Party who just have said enough. Maybe it's going to catch on. Maybe it will catch on. We can only hope. And one more story before we uh, bring our show to a close. I want to talk a little bit about a movie. I know, utterly out of keeping with everything we've been talking about all hour. But this is worth paying attention to. Do you know what the white savior narrative is? The white savior narrative is when you take a story that is placed anywhere in time, anywhere in the world, and a filmmaker, we're going to talk about films. This happens too in literature. It happens on television. We're going to focus, though, on films. Whatever story needs to be told is of necessity told through the eyes of a white person. If you're going to show something outside the white norm, you have to have a white protagonist to make it palatable, to give the audience eyes to look through, which of course assumes it's all white eyes. Check this out from thedailybeast.com. Matt Damon whitewashes Chinese history in the Great Wall. This is from Jen Yamato. 
She says, let me tell you about the biggest movie ever made in China, directed by China's greatest living auteur, about one of China's most famous historical achievements. The Great Wall is set over a millennium ago. And she goes on to describe the wall. 5,500 miles of stone and brick took 1,700 years to build, blah, blah, blah. A few hundred more years for Hollywood to teach us who really saved one of the oldest civilizations in human history, Matt Damon. Yes, that's right. Matt Damon saves ancient China from giant reptilian dragons because, of course, Damon raked in $94 million from Chinese audiences last year by being stranded in space. If he can be the Martian, Jen Yamato says, why not the guy who defends Asia with a quiver of arrows and his stoic Caucasian heroism? And she goes on to note that Damon isn't the first white man to save exotic culture or people from monsters or destruction or other white people. That made me curious about just how many white savior narrative movies have been out there. So I went, of course, to Wikipedia. And that means I have to insert the standard disclaimer that Wikipedia is a starting point, not a finishing point. It's put together by people who aren't necessarily vetted in any way, blah, 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 blah. But I found on Wikipedia what appears to be a pretty reliable listing, exhaustive listing, of stories that were told about people that were not white through the eyes of and often rescued by people who are white, and more often than not, males. It's just amazing to me that with the budgets and the names that are out there now, that some directors, someone in Hollywood, isn't willing to take the risk that you can tell stories about Chinese history with Chinese or Chinese Americans in the lead. That you can tell, let's take Amistad. You have to have Anthony Hopkins in there in Amistad to talk about the group of African slaves. Because then it's not about the slaves. It's about Anthony Hopkins, John Quincy Adams. Now, that was back in 1997. It was an issue even before that, back with Cry Freedom. Kevin Klein. So you put Kevin Klein in front of the camera so that all of us can understand the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. Can you see the problem here? And the bigger problem to me is that this never seems to stop. Glory. The American Civil War. So who do we put in the front of the regiment of black soldiers, Union soldiers? We have to put Matthew Broderick in there. Because, you see, we can't talk about black Union soldiers without the nominal white guy. And I think it's connected to what seems like only tangentially linked. Ghostbusters. With the re-release of Ghostbusters, we saw an all-woman crew decried because they were women. What was their flaw? They weren't men. We saw them decried before the movie was made. We saw the very idea of them being in place decried. And then after the release of the movie, we had this horrible mess in social media where one of the stars who bore the additional burden of not being traditionally gorgeous and not being white was chased off of Twitter by racists and misogynists. The movie itself performed eh, moderately well, had a good opening weekend. It's kind of, you know, tippled on down the scale after that. But that happened, and then now the Great Wall of China movie is happening, and I think the stories are starting to resonate a little bit louder. I think that, as always has to happen, you have a group of moneyed interests, and that is the movie studios, and the only way to change what they do, be it the white savior narrative or the refusal to see strong women in lead roles, has to be led by market. 
and has to be sometimes corralled through a loop of shame. And I'm hoping that first with what happened with Ghostbusters and now with this week's news about Matt Damon, The Great Wall, maybe the shame will start to impact on the box office. And as I mentioned earlier this hour with MSNBC, you cannot ask corporations to be moral, but you can try to attempt what they do and what their product is by exposing it and by affecting its market. So anyway, I'm up against the clock, so I just want to throw out there, while you're out there on social media this week, if you get a chance, throw some things in there against Donald Trump, against the white savior casting, and against this whole concept that you've got to have a guy and it's got to be a white guy for anything to succeed in the world of literature, in movies, or television. That's a wrap for me. Brad and Desi will be back tomorrow. I'm Angie Claro, and this has been The Bradcast. Say that you'll never, never.